Hey guys, it's Brittany Joy Fountain. I am the founder and chief humanity officer for Brit Joy & Co. And this is the Nitty Britty Podcast. This is the podcast where we go all in on the most important and basic details of a well-executed, well-nurtured workplace culture. These are the details that no one wants to get into because, well, humans are a mess. But that is my sweet spot. Because it's in that nitty gritty where you find the transformation that you need and the transformation you want. So if you're ready, let's get into it. Hey y'all, welcome back to episode 16 of the Nitty Gritty Podcast. We are continuing our conversation today with Henry Jordan. And in case you've missed any of it up to now, let me catch you up a bit. Henry is a retired senior divisional vice president with Walmart stores. He's an author, motivational speaker, real estate agent, and an overall champion for leadership and culture in the workplace. This conversation was so rich and full of nuggets of wisdom that you will definitely want to write down. Now, don't worry. If you're not able to write it down, I'll give you a small recap at the end of today's episode. But enough for me. Let's get back to the conversation. What do you think? is the ripple effect, the potential impact that could happen from an organization that is five people or an organization like Walmart that's over a million people. What is the potential of a ripple effect that could occur from this type of focus? I think it's real simple. I think you potentially to the level that you put an emphasis on the right culture. And I say the right culture because all cultures are not created equal, right? I mean, there are some cultures and some companies that are bad cultures that you don't want to continue to propagate. You need a new culture. And, uh, but for those companies that have the right culture and the right emphasis on that culture, I think the end game is you become best in class at whatever you do. I think you become the industry leader. Um, I've never had the opportunity to be a CEO of a company, but I'm still a young man and you never know. That's right. Uh, But I'd love that opportunity, I think, one day. But to be a CEO of a company and to be the best in your market, the best in your field, I don't know that there is a greater achievement and accomplishment. But the way to me that that happens is you embrace the right culture and you embrace the commitment first within yourself and then the people around you and then without, throughout your entire organization to the point that it, that ripple effect goes out and affects the most important person in your organization, which is your customer. Yeah. And you can say in the organization or out of it. But, you know, the customers vote every day, every time with, with their money, with their patronage, with, with their repeat business. And. You know, the, the the sad thing is a lot of customers never tell you. Sam Walton used to talk about this a lot. He's He, he had a speech he did one time. You ought to look it up. It was something to the effect of, I'm the silent customer. I'm the one that just leaves and goes somewhere else. I'm not going to tell you what I didn't like that down. about my bad experience, but I'm just going to go away. And it really creates this kind of, you know, oh, crap kind of thing <laughs> where you're like, wow, there are people every day that come in my business that go somewhere else yeah. and never know it and they never come back. Yeah. And, you know, but versus whenever you can empower people to just do the right thing, mm-hmm. 
you know, and you know what? Sometimes it's going to be sloppy. Sometimes it's going to go the wrong way. Uh, sure. You're going to have somebody that gets a little bit out there, a little bit too much, but so what, you know, what re- real on me. And I would rather have people around me that I had to hold back than people I had to push. There's yes. way too many people, way too many people in leadership and organizations today that have to be pushed. That, yeah. You know, you have to, you have to stay behind them. And if you're doing that, you're not looking at as a, as the leader as where you to where you're going. I, I want people that I've got to say, hang on, wait a minute, slow, slow down, just slow your roll just a little bit. Let's think about this a little bit longer. Good, love your effort, but let let's just th- think about it a few more revolutions before you put it into action. That's right. And when you have those people surrounding you, there's no limit to what you can do. We we talk about in the book, you know, what's the difference between a football team that is just good versus one that makes it to the Super Bowl. The difference is that coach starts treating those players like Super Bowl champions way, way before they ever play in a Super Bowl. That's right. But a lot of times you want to wait until people do something great to treat them like they're great people. That's when right. what the secret sauce is you treat them like great people when they're average. And what happens? is they become great. And then you get a whole bunch of great people in a great, then your organization can't help to become great. And then the customer experience becomes great. And next thing you know, you're the number one, whatever it is that you do. And I think that's the end game, you know, and it really, to to me, culture's like the fuel that you put in, in the automobile, you know, so, so it's so easy to spend all that time building the automobile and, shining it up and making sure that everything's just right. And then you put cruddy fuel in it and wonder why it's not running right. That's right. That's right. All that effort was for not. All that investment was for not. Whereas if you put, if you're going to put all of that into that great vehicle, then go put the high octane, premium, clean fuel in there that will let that vehicle perform at its maximum capacity. Oh, that's good. Think about that in business. It makes you think about it because the fuel, it, to me, the fuel, the culture, yeah. the way you do everything, the way you communicate with people in that environment you create is the qual. That's the quality of your fuel. And in some companies, it's pretty bad. It's got water in it, and it's not good. But in the companies where it's the high octane stuff that's really rich and good, the people know that. And those are the organizations that that do well. Those are the teams that make it through and, and become Super Bowl champions. And uh, yeah, it's. It's it's pretty cool to think about. So I love that coaching analogy. It, it makes me think about something my husband and I just sort of use foundationally for our marriage is with our children or how we parent and probably how we do everything is sometimes you just have to act the way you want to be. That's when right. When it doesn't feel good, yeah. you just have to act like the parent that you actually yeah. want to be. You have to act like the community member that you really want to be. Um, and when you do that, you do that over time, those habits become your reflex. Yeah. And that's, that's what you need because when push comes to shove and we need to lay on the gas, thank goodness we've got that high octane in there that can take us where we need to go. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, what do you have to go on? How, how, what is your foundation when things start to get a little shifty? Yeah, it, it reminds me, Brittany, of, you know, again, these are big topics that probably warrant an entire separate discussion. But uh, as part of your cultural uh, environment and 
the cultural uh, atmosphere that you create. One of those is is evaluations, how you evaluate people. Evaluations are important, but they yeah. ought to be ongoing, and the feedback is important. But one of the things, I'll just be honest with you, I hated it when I was part of it, and uh, I still very much dislike it today. And I think it's it's one of the worst things I think companies can do. And I think some companies still do it, but it's called par rating. You know, they have this par one, par two, par three, par four, par five, whatever. Okay. And for lack of a, a better description, it's where the leadership gets together and they evaluate their other leaders that are below them and they put them in these silos based on their performance and based on their uh, po- the, their potential as defined by their supervisor, whatever. Okay. What I hate about that is I always wanted to sit down with people and I wanted to create horizons for them, Ooh. not silos. Yeah. I wanted to say, you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. Your people skills stink. Okay. <laughs> You're offending people. You, you know, you have great ideas. You have great initiative. You have great, you're, you're incredibly intelligent. I love your college degrees. All that stuff's great. But your delivery to people is, is something we got to work on because it's going to keep you from ever being the best you can be. Yeah. But if you can fix that, if you can acknowledge that and you can work on that, all those other things become tailwinds for you. Now this becomes a tailwind. And that horizon out there you want to get to, you can get to that. Whereas yeah. the, the poll rating thing says, you know what, you're a Q3 or you're a Q4. And it's basically saying, this is all we ever see you be. I mean, that's what that does. And you sit down and cover it with people. And you say, we, Brittany, you're, you know, you're doing really good in this, but this is, this is all you're ever going to be with this company. You wow. know? And I'm like, I never saw anything good come out of that conversation. Listen, sometimes you're going to have people in your organization that are not a good fit that don't have good work ethic, that don't care. And you need to get them out of your organization after you give them every opportunity to improve. And I think that's where you do everything you can to pour resources into somebody. But if they can't, you might say, listen, you're going to be a success somewhere, but it's not going to be here. It's not going to be now. We've, We've done everything we can do, but let's find you that place where you can be successful. But most people... That's not the case. Most people, I think, if you give them a horizon and you give them the investment and the time and the attention and you let them know you care and you're willing to help them and you give them the resources, most people, based on my experience, will go beyond that horizon. They won't even stop there. I was having a conversation with a friend about this kind of work, and I was, one of the pillars that I talk about is clear language. We have to start yes. using clear language. We have to identify our values and our expectations in a way that my kindergartner can understand because if they don't then nobody's actually getting it and her response was well don't you think that would cause a lot of people to leave and I thought is that a problem because if you have clearly identified who you are and expectations that you have as employees I'm not asking you to change your personal beliefs. I'm not asking you to change the way that you act and behave and operate in your home and with your friends. But as an employee, these are the clear expectations and values of the organization. And you choose to leave. Isn't, is not is that really so bad? Yeah. Um, so I, from my perspective, I'm like, we, why wouldn't we just lay it out there? Why wouldn't we... Yeah you know, create 
a set of values. And if it feels idealistic, is, is that even that so bad? Don't, yeah. I would argue maybe we need more idealism in our workplaces. <laughs> I think so. I mean, go back to the vehicle example. I mean, right. if you have that person on step 21 who insists on painting a red stripe down the side of every vehicle, right? at some point, the organization has to make a decision. Yes. They're either going to incorporate the red stripe into their production specs, okay, or they're going to have to find somebody else to fulfill step 27 or whatever that that's was. Right. And, you know, th- that's the thing. You, you, otherwise, you you could not function in a business. A business has to have consistency, you know. Yeah. You, you can't, I mean, go open a coffee shop. And tell your employees and your associates that work in the coffee shop that every time someone comes up to the counter, put a shot of vinegar in their coffee cup with their coffee and just see how that works out for your exponential compounded growth and annual rate of return. That's it right. probably is not going to be too good. <laughs> you know, and so, but there's a right way and a wrong way to do that. You know, when people feel like they're part of something, Mm-hmm. Um, it's like you've heard this story about the guy who walked into NASA and um, and he sees a, a janitor, you know, going back and forth with a mop, mop in the hallway. And the, the guy that walks in there says, oh, you must be the janitor that uh, that that cleans up the halls in NASA. And, and, and he said, no, he said, I'm part of a team that's going to put a man on the moon. Oh, yeah. Know, so how do we make people feel in our organization? Are they just the person that's the barista that works 12 hours a week? That's or right. are they, do they look at themselves as, no, I'm one of the people that's building the greatest cup of coffee experience that, that's ever been created? That's right. You know? And if that's idealistic, I want to be a part of it. And I can tell you what, the guy mom in that hallway wants to be a part of it too. And that's the like that is the goal. We want our people to want to walk through fire because somebody's got to mop the hall okay that's right we, we can't make everybody a nasa engineer to figure out when the rocket needs to explode that's right, right. somebody's got to mop the hall but if the leader is willing to mop the hall and listen i've cleaned my share of bathrooms way way after i had a title where technically i didn't have to do that but i that's did right. because i realized that when the people who did that job realized that i was willing to do it all of a sudden, it changed the whole environment of, of now, you know, the way they looked at their job, that it's important. Somebody's got to clean the bathroom. Somebody's got to mop the hall. Somebody's got to do the checkouts. But you can make them understand and feel like they're part of something greater. And then guess what happens? You talked about the end game and the ripple effect. Have you looked at turnover costs lately? Man, turnover is a probably, I don't know, would you, I know it's hundreds of millions of dollars, if, if not billions of dollars, that it costs organizations around the world every year, just, just trying to keep the right people in the right place. I mean, there are so many things, productivity, you know, um, it, yeah. it's just amazing what happens when, when you, it's, it's not easy, but it goes back to that rub. What, what slight adjustments can you make at the, at the top highest level in an organization culturally that will ripple down into affecting so that guy that's mopping the hall understands he's helping put a man on the moon instead of just cleaning up dirty floors. That's right. And that's right. That, that sums it up. And I mean, 
the dollars are astounding. Mm-hmm. You know, when everything from the cost of disengagement that leads to employee churn. So it's, it, you're right, it's $8.8 trillion to the global economy. I can't even spell trillion. That's amazing. <laughs> Wow. That's a tenth of Walmart's budget. Uh, <laughs> you know, that, when you look at um, institutional knowledge loss, you know, this happens when employees just stop talking to each other. They yeah. stop talking to each other to share the information that they know, mm. whether they've just disengaged and they're going to quit, um, or if they are let go for layoffs, which are sometimes required, sometimes are needed for an organization. Yeah. I mean, we're talking an average of $42 million for a company, yeah. for a U.S. company. That's amazing. Um, it's astounding. So yeah. it's like the dollars are there. And also, my God, that spark, the spark that lives in each of us. Like what that happens when we engage in that spark. Oh, mm-hmm. and by the way, an organization is only a collection of people. So what would your organization look like with that spark? Yeah. I mean, if you just open your eyes, it's so easy to see. I I talk about Bucky's a lot. Uh, I don't know a lot of Bucky's, the gas station turned here. You know, Europe for many, many, many years, Europe has figured out how to get people to buy steaks in a gas station. Uh, In America, for the longest time, culturally, we equate gas station food to potato chips and sodas Mm -hmm. and junk maybe once in a while a crummy hot dog. <laughs> so you see these organizations now that have gone to Europe and brought that model over here. You know, here you have Bucky's. My mom, bless her heart, we lost her a couple of years ago, but for my mom's 82nd birthday, you know what she wanted to do? True story. It's a gas station. She wanted to go to Bucky's. Now she's 82. <laughs> she wants to I want to go to Bucky's, that new Bucky's that opened out on the interstate. And it was like, 30-minute drive, 45-minute drive from where she lived uh, out in the country to over there on the interstate. So they, my sister and brother-in-law, bless their hearts, they loaded mom up, took her to Bucky's for her birthday. And it was, it was an experience. But you look at what, what creates that excitement about a business. And you go in Bucky's. I'm a big fan. I drove to Texas last year to deliver a truckload of books. And when I, every, they're a Texas-based company. And all the way there, I stopped at every Bucky's I could, and I was amazed how every one of them you go in, the cashiers yell at you. Yeah. Welcome to Bucky's. And they're laughing, yeah. feel good, and they're dressed right, and they're happy to be there, and they're paid well. And then you walk past them, and you have people yelling over there, having fun, making barbecue sandwiches. Yeah. You go in the bathroom. They have the best bathrooms Stop. in the world. Yes, and there's like fifty gazillion, you know, <laughs> fifty gazillion stalls, and they're all clean, and you can do hand sanitizer and soap, and you can and the paper towels are full, and it's just a great experience. From time you go into, you go out, and no matter how busy they are, they've learned right. how to handle the business, so you don't drive by there even though there's 150 cars there because you trust them That's that right. you're going to get in and get out and still get a hot sandwich, a smile. And you're going to pay out the nose for it, but you don't really care because it's a great experience. That's and right. so, it, but they do have the best price on gas. I got to give them that. But I said all that to say that, you know, Bucky's did not get that reputation without intentionally setting a very high standard at the highest points of that organization. 
And I can tell you today, if I was going to jump back into retail, Bucky's would be somewhere I'd be looking because it just creates an environment where people want to be there. Yeah. So it, I tell you, it's done so consistently through every store. It makes me curious of how their framework is yeah. for this type yeah. of work. Yeah. Um, great to study. What was that? I said it'd be it'd be a great case study. Know, yeah, it really would be. Yeah. Um, because from what I see, and it's interesting that you brought up that European gas stations have done this for a while because I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. Um, is that there are two companies that I know of for certain who actively have organizational culture as a business unit within their um, companies. So meaning they have a team of folks who are listed as organizational culture leaders and they work cross-functionally with sales, with marketing, with legal, whatever their assigned area is. Yeah. But they're international companies. Yeah. Um, so that that makes me it's just sort of like a little nugget that I'm going to hold on to and maybe dig in more. Yeah, I, I think you know who's in charge of your culture, and you know what the number okay. one answer you get, Brittany, when you ask a CEO this or some big corporate leader or business owner, you say, "Hey, who's in charge of the culture?" What you'll get every time is, "We all are." Oh. But the problem with How that, that make you feel because I mean it makes me want to claw my skin off. It, the problem is if everybody's in charge of something, nobody's in charge of it, you know? And so somebody has got, I had the privilege years ago when I was responsible for Virginia of going, uh, one of the guys that I worked with, uh, 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 still a dear friend and a great person I have a great respect for today in operations and business. Um, he knew Frank Beamer, Coach Beamer. He was the coach of uh, Virginia Tech football team. Very well-known, very successful long-term coach. And I got to go out on the practice field one day and and actually I got to meet Coach Beamer and I actually got to go out on the practice field and watch him. And I'll never forget it. So let me paint a real quick picture for you. So you go out there and there's like four different practice fields that are, you know, each, you know, around what look what I would describe almost as a fire tower. You, you literally went up in it. You literally climbed up in this tower and it, it looked like in Alabama, what you see is a hunting stand, like a deer hunting stand. Cause it had like windows on all four sides, but there were no windows in them. So he could communicate with people and coach Beamer would go up in this tower and he would watch over here to the, to the defensive coach with all the defensive players for a while. And then he'd walk over to this window and over on that field right there close would be the kicking team. And over here was the guy working with the quarterbacks and the receivers. And, and, you know, so Coach Beamer was in charge of everything, but he was the one guy in the organization that was looking at everything and making sure that there was alignment throughout the entire Virginia Tech, you know, football organization that because he's he's the one guy that was was looking at everything from the same perspective and then he would address things that didn't align with that perspective in each individual group with each individual coach and i remember thinking about that as a leader at that time you know myself is that's really what leaders need to do and why it's so important when it comes to things like culture cuz if you ask that same ceo who's in charge of loss prevention They'll tell you the CEO over loss prevention. 
Who's in charge of your people division? Oh, um, that's so-and-so. They're the senior vice president over people. And and they can do that for everything. Well, who's in charge of culture? Well, we all are. Okay, so in other words, nobody is. I think you're on to something there. That's, that's There has to be a place that bears the weight of responsibility. Yeah. And is also charged with the pursuit of the people. Because yeah. that's what it is, a chase, right? So we are constantly pursuing what this looks like to maintain alignment and connection. That's huge, we are man. Also that's bearing huge. the weight of what this means to us as an organization from a business perspective, right? Yeah. So because there's a true cost to not doing this well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, think about that one of my favorite uh, non-favorite uh, areas of most corporations is called the compliance department. Oh. I'll never forget as I watched in the industry, um, most corporations used to call it the people division. Oh. We're the people division. We're actually, you know, there was a lot of emphasis put on people. Yeah. And then transitioned years later, it got a little more technical. So it's like, well, now we're going to call it human resources. So they yes. went from people they went from people to human instead of people going the other way with names. Now we're going from, and now we're going to human resources. Okay. Then, then some organizations got into HR compliance. Mm-hmm. It seems like we got further and further and further away from the human side of the connection yeah. more and more and more aligned with the compliance. Now, listen, compliance is important. You, there are labor laws. There are things you have to do today more than ever regarding the way you handle, you know, people-related, employee-related, uh, associate-related uh, relationships and all of that. Not to take away from that, that's important. <clears throat> but, but again, the, the venue to that, the attitude toward that, still to me, needs to have the word people in it. And okay. it's funny to me, again, how you have someone in charge of people. But you don't have someone in charge of culture, and, and yeah. uh, you know it. That culture person could so easily be the filter, if you will, or the lens, if you will, by which you look at the memos that are going out to the organization. There are people writing communication every day in big organizations that go through email, that go, and who's looking at all that to say, does this fit and align with our overarching? Yeah cultural objectives here of respect for everybody or for, you know, we're going to push people to be their best, but we're also going to do it in a respectful way. Does this memo make the deposit emotionally and, you know, culturally into the people in our organization that we want it to? You need somebody with the autonomy to say, Brittany, that memo you got that you're scheduling out tomorrow, you need to cancel it, rewrite it. And I like to read it. I'd like you to do this, this, this. Put a little bit more feeling in it because yep. you're not really representing. You know what I mean? Somebody that can do that. You have people who are technically excellent at what yeah. they do. So you might be communications or PR or whatever your role is with the company, and you could be technically excellent at that work. Yeah. But if you do not have a pulse on the people, it could land horribly mm-hmm. wrong. Yeah. And depending yeah. on the deposits that we've made over time, you might not have the runway that allows for that kind of miss to occur. Yeah. So 
what would it look like to have the lens of someone who could step in to your point, you know, what we talked about earlier is you have a CEO on Squawk Box. Somebody's going to look at him and say, Bob, you need to sit up. You can't, yeah. you can't slouch like that. You need to smile. <laughs> you need to smile. I know, I know it's not you, but it's going to be you for the next three and a half minutes. <laughs> so. That starch suit and tie and maybe Maybe, you know, I mean, there's just so many things that I can just think of that, yes. talk about, hey, that that people could do that can make an impact. You know, one of the things that, again, you can only speak from, from your own experience and some of this stuff, but, and what you've observed in others, but, you know, we're big, big dog people. Um, you know, I mean, I literally here on my desk, you'll laugh at this. I have, um, I have pictures of Jack Russell and. Before that, this was Jack that we used to have. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm a dog person, right? So, and, and I love my dog. And um, it's funny because on our every presentation I did where I got to communicate with my entire team, which was rare, but there were a couple of times a year I'd have like all six or 700 of managers and just, I'd have a lot of people there in a room where I could talk to them for an hour. Is that how many people that you averaged rolling up to you? Well, when I, at the peak, I had 120,000, I think, total people in my division in the Eastern Seaboard. That was from North Carolina, Virginia, West Virginia, Maryland, Delaware, and Washington, D.C. That uh-huh. was all part of that Eastern Seaboard territory. I think it was 100. If you count all the associates and everybody, it's about 120, 125,000 people. Uh, I knew every one of them by name. I knew their kid. No, not really. That's right. It was a challenge. How how do you impact that many people? And 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 you know you 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 only way is to do it one at a time and look for every opportunity. But what I found with you know we we all came from different uh, backgrounds and different cultures and different thought processes and we're all in some ways we're all so different. But what I found is one of my tools was my dog. And so every time I had a slide or a presentation, I, there's a picture of me barefoot with a pair of blue jeans on and a T-shirt. And Caroline, my wife, dressed the same way. And I'm, I've got my little Jack Russell. And we're sitting on top of a rock on the coast of California. And you see uh, the sand on our feet. And you see the ocean in the background. And you see us holding our dog. It's just, it's so real. That's right. It's just real. And what I found early on is if I'll let them see Henry, who's a guy who loves his wife and has an incredible wife and has a world's greatest dog and he loves his dog, it they can relate to me so much better as a guy with a dog that loves his wife. Yeah. And, and if I'll portray that to them and, and be willing to be a little vulnerable and let them see that that part of me, I'll make a great senior vice president divisional. Yeah. But if all I do is walk around with my suit on and my senior vice president divisional name badge, you know, they're never going to see through that. And they're going to judge me by every other senior vice president yeah. division, yeah. which may or may not be a good impression. That's right. And so, you know, it, when people can just be real and, and, mm-hmm. and this is a, if I was a CEO today, this is probably what I'd advocate for the way I dress because, you know, it's, it's, it's nice, but it's comfortable and it's neat. And, and I, I just think there's so many barriers we create with people sometimes that then we got to live down. Mm-hmm. Instead of just 
tell them about our dog. And then what's really cool is, you, you, hey, who's who's got the biggest dog in the world? Who's got the loudest dog? And all of a sudden, you find yourself with these people you have nothing in common with that you have something in common with. Yes. And that thread of connectivity then over time becomes a piece of nylon, you know, string, and then it becomes a piece of monofilament, and then it grows and it becomes a rope until it eventually becomes a cable and a chain. And it, it grows and it becomes this connectivity that can't be broken. And when you get that throughout the organization, you've got something that you can say, okay, we're going to turn the rudder this way and go this way because the market's changed and boom, you're there and you're leading every other business in that particular industry and they don't understand why yeah it's really powerful to show people the way that you care about something other than yourself and something other than the business and when you do that it opens up the door for them to see like oh perhaps he really does care about us because i am not him and i am not the, the bottom line yeah. and he has that capacity. Okay. Maybe I'll open the door and allow for that trust to come in in a different way where maybe it wouldn't have before. So. So let me ask you a question. Why do you think it's so hard for people in those big leadership roles, particularly to, to get beyond themselves and, and 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 let other people know they care and demonstrate that by their actions. Why do you think that's so hard for people? Boom, cliffhanger. Am I right? I love how this is finishing up, and I know you will too. But for right now, I'm just going to review the notes that I took for this episode. We talked about what happens when you choose this focus. Like what would be the potential impact of the ripple effect from a well-executed, well-nurtured workplace culture? Well, turns out you'd probably be best in class. We talked about Sam Walton and how he talks about the silent customer. (sighs) Y'all know I'm definitely looking that up. We talked about how Henry wrote in his book, The Difference Between Football Teams, the ones that are good versus those that make it to the Super Bowl. Turns out the secret is treating them like they're great when they might just be average because people rise to the occasion. We talk about fancy cars and the time and care that it took to build it. And then what are you going to do? Use cruddy fuel? No. If you're putting the time and the care and the intentionality into building that thing, you better put the right stuff in it as you go forward. We talked about sometimes you just have to act the way that you want to be. And in the same way, you would have to nurture your culture in the way that you want it to be. We talked about horizon conversations, you know, the ones that would be focused on the destination versus solely on past performance and the assumption of, well, this is just who they are. They're not going to change. We talked about clear language and would clear language actually make some people want to leave an organization? I don't know. Maybe. But chances are, That clarity would beget the trust and engagement and sense of purpose and belonging that we've all been missing. And then we talked about the money. Ooh, we talked about the money, honey. We talked about the trillions of dollars that are lost to the global economy every year from disengagement and employee churn and institutional knowledge loss. And then, this one's my favorite. We talk about what happens when somebody would ask leadership, who's in charge of culture? 
Leadership often says, we all are. That makes me just want to crawl out of my skin. Because the problem is, if everyone is in charge, nobody's in charge. Because we would never say that about other things that we're putting focus towards. Who's in charge of finance? We know. Who's in charge of loss prevention? We know. Who's in charge of culture? Everyone? No one. I don't know. We talked about how culture could be the filter, the lens for all areas of operation. Memos to the organization, optics of leadership, gaps for upskilling, the nuance that exists from nonverbal communications that exists between us. We talk about the consistent connection and how that creates stronger bonds and that the strength is necessary to bear the weight of the ebbs and flows of life, obviously business included. And my absolute favorite, the cliffhanger from today. Knowing what we know with all the data that's available, why do we think it's hard for leaders to show their humanness and to allow for true connection and to pursue a well-executed, well-nurtured workplace culture? What is the hangup? <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know? And you will, just not today. All right, y'all, that's it for episode 16 on the Nitty Britty podcast. Next time, we're going to be wrapping up our conversation with Henry Jordan. As a reminder, to contact Henry, you can reach him directly on his website at www.henryjordanleadership.com. And as always, I'd love to hear from you. So you can find me on any of the socials at Brittany Joy Fountain or directly on my site at www.brittjoy.com. Thanks so much for tuning into the Nitty Britty. Until next time.